Let's talk about NDAs. Do you guys sign them? I sign them sometimes. I've signed them before. I, I think I have signed a non-disclosure agreement before, but generally, if someone asks me to sign a non-disclosure agreement, that's kind of like a mark against them. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel bad saying that because it feels like a really judgmental thing. I don't want to be a judgmental person. I don't know. Like I, I kind of take it under a like into consideration alongside of like what the project is. Yeah, sure. I'm not going to form a snap is, judgment. Like I don't have this right. flat policy of if you ask me to sign an NDA, I walk away. I'm not like <laughs> I automatically judge you, just judge the eyes. But it does kind of like it goes into the negative column, perhaps because um, right. Like to me. It's so much more than just having an idea, right? Like, yeah, you have an idea, and whether or not that you succeed in it, I think it is. It's less about the idea itself, and it's more about everything else, like the execution, the marketing, the you know, yeah. So many other variables are going to factor into whether something works or not. So I kind of worry when people are too precious around that one thing. It's like, oh, if you have this one idea then that's all you need and it's my idea is so unique and precious that if anyone even knew of it, then, you know, they'd make a billion dollars and I'd miss out. Have you ever had anybody come up to you, like, just randomly and say, I've got this really great app app idea that I want to build. I don't want to tell you anything about it, but how do I do it? (laughs) Yeah, variations of that. I have. I I was at a family reunion recently and I had one one of my wife's, relatives distant relatives came like we sat at the same table and they we everybody you know talked about what they did for a living and all that sort of stuff and then later on she comes up to me and she like she this lady says i have an app idea i don't want to tell you anything about it because it's i want to keep it a secret but like how do i go about getting it made i'm like well here's the most generic answer i can possibly give you because you won't give me any details i told i told her well you can either do one of two things you can Either go out and hire somebody to do it, and I know plenty of people that can do that. So, like, you're not like that's easy, but it'll cost you. Like, it'll be expensive. Or the other opportunity is, like, the other option is you could learn how to do it. You yourself. learn how to code, yeah. and there are hundreds of code schools now online where you can yeah. pay like twenty bucks and you can learn how to do a basic app, and like that'll cover you. Do you think she's going to do either? I don't know. I'm going to go with no. If I reckon she probably won't learn to code because she was about forty something, and I think she kind of. And I'm not. So, I'm not saying that people that, who are in their 40s... That was a little bit ageist. Hang, hang on. I'm not Firstly, saying... hang on. Let's just clarify. I'm not in my 40s, so I do not need to be worried that you're going to offend. You'd offend if you're suggesting that you think that <laughs> I am in my 40s. <laughs> not he's, that there's anything wrong with that. being in your he's 40s. He's way older than that. No, I, like, I'm not saying that in such a way that no people can't... I, like, I said to her, I actually argued the case, look, you're never too old to learn. But she was like, no, I can't do it. What are you talking about? I can't do it. So uh, that's, actually, that's why I say that she was I've like... Seen I know of a few people who have used that. Um, is it Code Academy? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few of them around now. And people that have not come from a coding background and that are sort of well into their second or third careers and just have a go at doing it. And it's pretty impressive that you can kind of, you know, start, that there are plenty of ways in to learning how to do this stuff. It's not like something that's unattainable. It's just a mm-hmm. matter of, yeah, finding a way in. Yeah, NDAs. I um, I don't know. Do you like how much do you think success comes down to the kind of innovative idea versus the execution? Here's here's one an experience that I had uh, that you somewhat know about because I have talked to you about it before. Um, I was involved uh, in the creation of a web based system. Uh, maybe, gosh, it might be two years ago now, and it was a it was essentially a deals site um oh, yeah. you you know what i'm talking about um it doesn't exist anymore let's uh, like that's that that's kind of puts that ends the story right there um i worked on it for like 6 months or so varying like varying amounts of time like at, at one point i was full time but quite a fair chunk of that i was you know doing maybe 2 or 3 days a week um and i built it completely from scratch and put like had a lot of input in it they paid me for the whole thing so i don't really i didn't really care about whether it exi- uh, succeeded or not um that being said i put a lot into it right yeah, like yeah. i'm not i i don't say you know i don't i didn't care because i didn't you know but i was i wasn't personally invested in it succeeding or not that was up to them 
um, I just built the best system I possibly could because that's what I like to you know do. Mm. I feel, I feel like that is my like you know that's my legacy. I I leave the best possible system that I can, and then that way I walk away and they're happy and I'm happy and everybody's happy. Um, they had me sign an NDA for it because uh, I didn't want it getting out there um, that they were building this thing, mm. and I was I was perfectly happy. Like they were going to be paying me. Uh, I was getting paid pretty well. I was getting paid for like a six month stint where I was going to have basically regular, regular cash flow. And uh, I signed the NDA. I didn't really talk to anybody about it very much. Um, when I did, I talked about it in very loose terms so that, you know, it wasn't immediately yeah. obvious. And I think that makes sense. Like, if you agree not to disclose things, I think generally, like with Apple's non disclosure agreement, right. you know, we all agree to it as developers. I think you you got to respect it as much as you can. But I guess um But it did like but the NDA, like the point point is the NDA didn't uh didn't really make it succeed or make it fail. It just was the NDA. Yeah. It's sure. it failed eventually, but it didn't fail because there was because someone there was an NDA. stole the idea or it was it failed because it was already a like it was already a market flush with other other options and yeah. um I'm essentially- really curious as to which one it was. Would I have heard of it? Maybe. Was it, it was, Le- was it, it was, Leighton Hewitt's one? No, no, it was Canberra only. So you probably uh, wouldn't have heard it. You Le- Leighton Hewitt time. had one? Yeah. There Leighton Hewitt had like an eBay competitor and sunk heaps of money into it and it bombed miserably. So speaking of ideas that like, and not being precious with them, I'll give anyone a free idea that I think the next big, you know, like one of these sites that you're talking about. Uh, yep. So the, probably the most successful ones of this genre that I've heard of are things like Groupon. Yeah. You go, yeah. So the idea is you have a, a site where retailers can list deals and they get a good audience cuz it's essentially it's essentially an online catalog right. like it's it's online advertising and, but what you're swapping as a consumer you're saying i'll give some of my attention to this content in exchange for discounts that's right. things that, and then as a retailer you're saying i'll offer discounts to this platform in exchange for lots of people seeing it and coming to my shop right so i think there'll be an i beacon thing that like Groupon, like iBeacon for Groupons, Groupons for iBeacons, right. where there'll be like a, a app platform with companion beacons and there'll be this thing where lots of consumers will be encouraged to download the app because having the app on your phone will mean you walk past a shop and you'll find out that the shop you're walking past will give you two for one. And then lots of retailers will be encouraged to put the beacons in their shops and to sign up to be part of the program because the deal for retailers will be you can... Advertise to the people who are walking past, and then, there you go. Free idea. I'm sure. See, this is where I, why I don't think NDAs are worth anything. I'm sure that like I'm probably the millionth person to have that idea, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure it will happen. Um, and I think the person that is successful with it is not going to be unique because they were the only ones that had the idea. They'll be unique because they're the only ones who had the um, the wherewithal to execute on the idea and to yeah, it's all get about the, the financing and to get the deals made and to have the passion and commitment and drive to see it through. Right. And it's all about the execution, right? It's It's got to be like everything has got to fall into line with with a system like that. Um, part of the reason I think this this didn't succeed was like, I mean, I put my all, I, like I put everything that I had into that, into that thing. I gave, I put, I put every, you know, uh, good technique of user experience and all that sort of stuff into this thing that as far as you know as far as my experience goes um it was actually a pretty good site to use but um the problem the problem was they couldn't get enough people looking at the site right yeah and then because they couldn't get enough people looking at the site they had they couldn't get enough businesses involved to actually and actually paying money uh, to you know, to warrant it, and then because they couldn't get enough good businesses involved, they couldn't get enough people, yeah. and it was it's, just, it's, it was about a sort of critical mass. Is it called network effect? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a well-known thing when it comes to those businesses. Anyway, the end result was it didn't it didn't work out, and the NDA had nothing to do with it. But just one final comment on NDAs is um, I am really quite cynical of them, but I think that there there could be one case in which I I think they might make a bit more sense is um if you're wanting to get venture capital or investment in your idea sometimes the people that you might be looking to fund an idea will want some sort of um guarantee 
that, you know, that it's legally sound. I don't know. Yeah. And so maybe NDAs are part of that, that, you know, you've got right. paperwork to show that anyone that you've talked to about it, you know, there's some recourse for the financer if some the project yeah. goes belly up, they could potentially sue someone maybe and get some of their money back. I mean, as a general rule, like I, I don't talk about client work with other potential like other people who might you be, mean if I, I don't cause any conflicts of interest we shouldn't be i shouldn't be talking about all the stuff i do on this podcast oh, you oh. can do whatever you want you, I, it doesn't it doesn't affect me <laughs> you know i bet but you know like i look, when no, i do I, when i do client work like i i do a lot of uh work for design agencies like that's where a good chunk of my work comes from and they would they would die before they let, let me talk to like talk to one of the other design agencies about the work that they're doing. Yeah, sure. And so that's about so competition I, for clients, right? And, things like and that. as a general rule, like I, I, I don't talk about what the work that I do for clients with other clients. It's it. I don't unless unless for some reason it's it ends up being you know mutually beneficial. Like if a client is doing something and a client is another client is doing something else and they're kind of the same, but they kind of they kind of. Uh, Complement one another. They complement one another really yeah. well. Like that's a potential for partnership, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I can I can kind of hook, maybe hook that up yeah. and be th- a part of that. I think I'd take my lead from the people I'm working with. That some people are, are probably general... wanting to be more private about things and others are probably wanting to be more yep. upfront. So we have feedback. We do? Yeah, we do. I'm trying to load the email. Oh, there it is. It is I, I'm glad, by the way, that you use the term feedback. I specifically use the word feedback because there was the whole thing about. <laughs> I'm really worried about my uh, our safety now. No, I think we'll find. It was all a joke. <laughs> okay. Casey, anyway, let, Casey, let, leave 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 Jake alone. Let, let's move on to the feedback section. The FB. Yeah, it doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it? So, uh, the feedback that we got uh, was from somebody who didn't didn't uh, give us their name. They. Uh, I thought it was Scotty. Was Scott Pilgrim, but Scott Pilgrim is not a real person. Scott Pilgrim is Scott a Pilgrim's character that guy from sitting a behind comic. you, Jake. I know who Scott Pilgrim. Scott is. Pilgrim was one I've of the seen examples. The movie. Scott Pilgrim That's was one of the examples movie. that uh, that comes up in in our uh, our web form. Speaking of which, have you read either of these two yet? Not yet. I've been reading the other one. One of the other ones. <laughs> but for people that can't see what I'm pointing at here, if you're into graphic novels, uh, I'd recommend Persepolis or Mouse. They're both very good. I haven't got to them yet. Neither of them. Just Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim <laughs> is amazing, and I'm I'm gathering the I'm getting the uh, the color versions. I'm I'm kind of keen about that. Anyway, so Scott wrote to us. So Scott wrote to us. Oh, this is exciting. <laughs> it's like meeting a celebrity. It's not really Scott. You realize this? Oh. <laughs> I think I just didn't. I just just destroyed his childhood <laughs> or something. <laughs> uh, so so. Uh, the the feedback that we got was uh, the cinema display actually has more c- accurate colors than the iMac apparently. Oh yeah, and if you just dis- if you buy a display of Dell, you always have two choices: they have the cheap one or the one that costs more than double is and apparently identical on the spec spec sheet. So they I have- believe it even has the same panel. Yeah, well, I think that's the point. Like it has the same panel; it's just a so it's what, just marked up differently. Why are you paying more? I don't know. Doesn't to Dell? Yeah, I don't understand. Oh, they have different panel. Like the screen, you can buy a cheap screen or a good screen, the same size, but the panel, you know, has better uh, color resolution. Oh, right. So it's actually the same technology, but they test it, and the one that's more accurate. Oh no, I think it's an actual colors. different. All oh, right, it's like a different screen altogether. The frame's the same. Yep. But I believe it actually has. Sorry, when I said the same panel as the cinema display, oh, right. that's what I meant. Yes. Okay. So the yeah, they have they, come they from have one that's the sharp, same panel. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Um. Anyway, I think the different the quality or difference is more noticeable with video than photos. Most LCDs screw up the color while changing. It takes time for each pixel to settle into the new RGB value. I always buy my displays off gel, Dell, the cheap ones. It's probably made in the same factory as the iMac display, plus the arm has better adjustment options. 90 degree rotation, for example. So I actually have, I actually have something to say about this, right? I have I personally have a Thunderbolt display. Um I'm pretty certain that Apple is the only company that makes Thunderbolt displays. Well, there might be a Dell one. 
Oh no, the Dell one will plug into DVI, and you will need to. But get it's the, not the same thing. You need because to get the adapter. The amazing thing about Thunderbolt displays, right, is that they pass through everything. Yeah, that's right. So I have, like, I I've got a laptop. I've got a MacBook Pro, which, as mentioned last week, is dying. Let's have a moment. And I plug when I when I come into the office, when I bring it into the office, I plug in two plugs. I have a power cable for charging, and I have the the Thunderbolt cable. That's pretty. For awesome. Everything else. That's pretty. Yeah, awesome. it is. It's really good. And, um, and then everything else is just plugged into your display. Literally everything else is plugged into my display. So I have an Ethernet cable plugged into the back of the display. I have uh, I have another Thunderbolt cable that comes out to power the tablet that I use, the drawing tablet that I sometimes use. Um, I also have a bunch of like USB stuff coming out of it as well. Yeah, and uh, awesome. there's a there's a hard drive. And I think does the Thunderbolt well. display have its own GPU? Am I that what? I'm not sure about? I don't think really? so. Okay, I'm probably wrong. I thought there was something weird about it, like that when you connect it, that it's actually using. So I know nothing about this, so I'll shut up now. <laughs> so here's that, that's the thing about the Thunderbolt display, right? And this is why I got a Thunderbolt display and didn't buy a cinema display. I specifically went for the Thunderbolt because it passes everything through. And uh, and that's really useful because mm. I can just literally come in, plug in two cables, which are conveniently actually you know connected together because they both run from the from the display. And everything just kind of comes back in. The keyboard suddenly starts working. The mouse is obviously paired with Bluetooth and stuff. But as a general rule, like I don't have to do anything. I just sit the computer down, plug things in, and I'm done. And you know what else you can do? You can chain monitors together. Yeah, that's a, that's also the, which I tried to do at work. It I worked. have, I do, I have, it I works. have <laughs> my, I have my Cintiq, which is my, uh, my graphics tablet. So it's a little 12 inch screen about this big right. that I can draw on. Really? Um, and that's how I do all my illustrations and stuff. Um. So that I plug into, I actually, I plug it in using, because uh, it's it's VGI or or, or um, the other one, whatever VGA, it is. VGA, DVI? That's what, that's, yeah. Yep. Some hybrid of the two. <laughs> Somewhere in between. But I have a, I have an adapter that plugs into, that converts it to a mini display port. And then I plug that into, I've got a little, a little lacy Thunderbolt thing basically takes a thunderbolt cable in and then outputs another thunderbolt and some various peripherals like um eSATA. Oh right, yep. And so I use that as the in between so that then powers that then powers the DVI because you can't plug the VGA or DVI whatever it is, the mini display port because you can't plug a thunderbolt display in and then plug another like a like a a regular display directly into that. Right. You so actually you have to, to have something between <laughs> between yeah. it. Um. So that's why I have this little thing, which cost me probably like sixty bucks. There you go. I I have fantasies about one day having a screen slightly larger than a thirteen inch MacBook Air <laughs> that I do all my work on. Yeah. Just the idea of an external display at all is kind of cool. The idea of two external displays chained together. I I was I was in at this, I was in at one of my client offices this morning. And one of the one of the d- developers, one of the new guys that they had, had a had a widescreen display that was literally like this. Like it was probably, I don't know, it was probably th- like thirty inches across. See that I think there's a limit where when you have to start to turn your head to see all the sides of your display, I think it's too big. Yeah, I agree. Like it was ridiculously wide. Like it was like I've had screens that like little screens that are probably about, uh, you know, maybe seventeen inches. Yeah, and and they were like you know the old school um, four by three uh, like um, ratio, ratio yeah. and this had to be like twice that yeah. in width. Like it was ridiculously wide, yeah. and I like it looked weird. It looked really weird, so especially so- sitting next to the like the iMac that he was using because the iMac is like a like a regular like sixteen by nine, and then yeah. this thing was like so so wide that it was it yeah, just yeah. was really weird. But um. Look, I, I think that I think the Thunderbolt display like has its place. And sure, if you're going to get a cinema, cinema display, then you can probably take into account things like the Dells and stuff like that, um, that are equivalent quality but less price, and yeah, you so, know, do the same do the same job. The Thunderbolt I think, display I think has that's benefits. What I'd probably though. do if I was going to go for a, an external display that wasn't itself a computer, rather than go for the more expensive Apple. Well, I don't know. I like the visual design the aesthetic yeah so there's the that, there's that of there Apple. is the industrial design 
Um, and then, of course, there's the thing that we were talking about last week with you could buy an iMac and use that yeah, as your display. Okay. Um, they don't have, apparently they don't have as good color accuracy, according to this email. Yeah. So I guess what this, this feedback was saying is that you get, you get value for your extra dollars for the cinema display. You're not just paying for nothing. You're paying for a higher quality screen that's got better color reproduction. So why can't I buy an iMac with the high quality screen? I guess they want to keep the price low yeah. and they're selling to people, you know, if you're a pro and color reproduction really matters because you're doing photography or you're doing video editing and you then you probably want to go for a Mac Pro right. with an external display. Okay, yep. But nice. if you're a consumer, what you want is the all-in-one form factor, something that's cheap to buy. And, and if you're a developer, like if you're a developer, there's, you're technically not going to be you're like unlikely to be doing anything that requires crazy gra- like crazy graphics or color accuracy. Right, and what you probably want to be able to do is see what your interfaces are going to look like on the devices you're right, and for that you should be testing on a device, not on a, not yeah. on a display anyway. Or if you're doing web stuff or or desktop stuff, you'd probably want to test on the sorts of displays the end users are likely to use, rather than a high end display that you looks great on yours, but then no one else looks at it. So I think the end result is, if you really want something that uh, is going to um, that is going to actually do stuff in the background for you, then maybe an iMac using an iMac as a as a cinema display, air quotes might be a good good option because you you do have that option of having something like a bot running in the background yeah. or a web server or something like that that's always on or whatever um and then you get the, also the benefit of having uh you know a a, dis, an, a external display right and a computer that you can use when you don't have your laptop handy if you're looking for a display that's just a display that just does display stuff and doesn't really do anything else then maybe you can look like if if and if you don't really care about the design, then maybe look at it as a Dell. And having said the design side, um, other manufacturers are getting better at industrial yeah. design, right? Like there's plenty of okay looking. Actually, there was a displays. Dell screen that was that I saw an article for that looks really good. Yeah, and in fact, you can now they nowadays get ones with almost no bezel. Um, yeah, I've seen lots of sort of museums and galleries and stuff use them in a multi-screen display where they're all connected together to form yeah, sort yeah. of one seamless screen. Yep. They're like a one or two millimeter bezel. Yeah. And so like that that might be an option for you. Um, if you really do care about the Apple design, then you probably will go for a cinema display. But I would suggest that if you have Thunderbolt, that that's probably the best way to go. And I'd reckon you'd have to wait to see what happens when the Mac Pros come out. Because, yeah. you know, I, surely there's at least a 50-50 chance that Apple's going to come out with a new display around the same time, a 4K display or a Retina display. So as I said, as I said last week, I reckon it's going to be 4K, but I reckon it could possibly be 4K and Retina. Right, yeah. So 4, 4K refers to 4,000 pixels, yeah? 4K resolution, but Retina, like, pick, pick, like yeah, the de- yeah. density would be the same. So is 4K 4,000 pixels? Is that why it's called 4K? Yeah, I think so. Something like that, yeah. And it's, that's talk about either vertical or horizontal or total pixels. None of us actually know, right? Well, if it's the same as 1080. Right. Yeah, it'd be width. There well, you go. Well, 1080's width, but 780 is height. Well, they, they anyway, can't be 4,000 pixels. Like, 4,000 pixels is, like, this big. Right. Like, so it's, it's one dimension. size. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go say 4,000 horizontally. But then retina is about pixel density, right? So you can yeah. be both by having a, a screen that's not physically very large but still has 4,000 pixels in right. it, meaning that the dense pixel density is enough so that you right. can't distinguish individual pixels at a normal viewing distance. Right. right. So it could be, yeah, so it could like, and that would still be good for retina video because you would be watching the video as a retina thing, but it would still be 4K. 4K. Yeah. Um, but you'd also get the benefit of, sort of te- regular retina, and so you kind of get all of the benefits. So I, if they're going to go that's anywhere, that's probably what they're going to go with. So which okay. which I stand. So I, I still stand by what I said last week. Given that we got last, we, none of us got anything wrong, anything right last time we predicted like WWDC stuff. Let's put our predictions on the record now. I predict when the Mac Pros come out, there'll be no announcement on displays at all. From I don't Apple. think there'll be an announcement. I think they'll just appear. Okay, so I predict when the Mac Pros come out, there'll be no change to Apple's lineup of displays. Okay, so I That's reckon my prediction. I reckon they'll appear at the same time as the Mac Pro, but there won't be any kind of fanfare or anything about them. I'm the same with Jake. It's not going to happen. Nothing's going to change. Okay. okay, so we got two saying there'll just be Mac Pros with no change in the display lineup, and one saying there'll be some new 4K displays that Apple will just add to the store silently without telling the 
All right. uh, I bet we're all wrong. It'll be something other than <laughs> Let's find out. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so moving on from the uh, feedback, um, what's happened in your world this past? It's only been a week since we last spoke, but uh, probably two well, weeks. Well, two weeks since, since people have heard us speak. Yeah. But yeah. what's happened in your week? You guys learned anything? Done anything interesting? I've been doing, I've been doing a fair bit of quoting. I reckon you probably have too. Done lots of quotes, and they're not going too well. So I'd love some tips. Mm. Maybe we should talk about quoting. Sounds good. I haven't done any quoting. Uh oh. Uh oh. You've, you've quoted before, be. though. It's not like you've never <laughs> quoted in your life. No, I've I've done I've quoted from time to time. Well, now this is this is a topic that I've kind of had that I want to be wanted, I've wanted to talk about on here for a little while, right? Because as a freelance person. Quoting quoting jobs is exactly the same sort of situation as as doing doing regular code work, right? And like, and by by that I mean like, you know, you get you kind of do it all in your little office or behind closed doors, and you never really talk to anybody about it, and so you right. never really know what's like what the go is, how other people do it, and yeah. so that you know you might be doing something that could be done easily or another way or something like that. I would so love it if someone had some tips that they could share with me about how to quote better because. I find it probably. I think it's the hardest part of doing this. Of sorry, taking a step back, estimating the effort that something's going to take to do. I find the hardest part of software development. Yeah. So uh, in in that regards, like I try to keep a record of everything that I do, whether it be for clients or for myself. Yeah. Of how long it takes me, how much time I put into it. Um, you and know, this when, is to build when up I work sort of a knowledge. So in in the right. future, if you're looking to try, someone's asked you how long will it take to do something similar to something you've done in the past, you can look back and go, oh well, when I did it last time, it took two days. That's cool. This time it's going to be exactly. Like four That's exactly days. what I do. And I and so what I do is I'll look at a job and I'll like let's say somebody comes to me with a website that they want to build and they want to use WordPress. Well, I've done a, I've done tons of WordPress stuff, so much WordPress stuff. You like, sound really enthusiastic about that. <laughs> I don't really like WordPress. Squarespace, the all in <laughs> uh, Good times. So, uh, but I, but I know, like, I, because I've done so much, I do have an idea of, like, okay, this sort of a project is going to take me this long to build. Sure. Um, and so I can, so I can reference the jobs that I've done before. I can go, okay, this is kind of equivalent to this. Mm. Um. And so I can kind of use that as a starting base for my for my quote. Okay, this took me this long. I quoted this much for it, and it took me extra time. So, so I, th- I think that's a great idea. And I, I guess, um, at the more projects I do, each time I do a project, it kind of goes into my mental uh, list of projects I've done and how much effort was involved. I'm not as formal as it sounds like you are in terms of writing it down or recording it. Right. But the thing I still struggle with the most is, um, I think the biggest variable in terms of how much effort's involved in delivering something, isn't the amount of technical work needed to realize the requirements. It's the 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 biggest variable I've encountered is um how much clients change their idea of what they want during the process of developing it and um how much overhead there is in terms of the communication that's involved in delivering a project like lining up all the dependencies and getting feedback from the client and responding to the feedback. And yeah, it's that side of it that I found to be Mm. the greatest variable. So you could have two clients come to you and ask you to quote on the exact same job in terms of the functional requirements. And it'll take twice as much effort to do for one client compared to the other because um, they might change their mind more along the way or they might just be a kind of higher maintenance. Yeah, see that that kind of that kind of runs into something that I think is really important to take into consideration especially when you're doing freelance work. Um and that's that's scope changes. Um so yeah. for so for people who aren't aware scope is basically for freelance work is basically the same as scope in a developing environment, right? Because once the scope changes then you've got new variables to play with. Yes. <laughs> And uh, it's the same exact kind of situation, right? Because uh, when when the scope changes, then all of a sudden you've got possibly more time. 
So I think we're kind of kicking uh, off a whole, a whole other conversation here, which is uh, waterfall or agile in terms of <laughs> yeah. methodologies. Because as soon as you mentioned scope, right, like um, I guess the old school of software development uh, life cycles was this idea that you could um, upfront figure out the scope of a project, do sort of requirements analysis and then design and come up with a kind of functional specification for some software and then quote on that functional specification and come up with a work plan of exactly what's going to be right and then go and build it whereas i think the kind of agile software development processes have developed in response to what ended up happening in reality is that you'd get part of the way through a project and realize that when you're doing your requirements analysis at the beginning you missed something or the process of starting to build some software itself changes the requirements because people start to see, oh, I didn't even know you could do that sort of thing. Now that I see what's possible, let's completely change it. So I guess I'm starting from a point of saying, let's assume that during the process of building software, scope's going to change a bit because I I don't think you can avoid that. Here's how I think think you should deal with that. Um, And this is like, and in fact, I'm doing doing a quote at the moment for a job that I'm, um, that I'm hopefully going to be taking on. Um, to produce an app for somebody. Um, they've come to me with a, with their idea and they've explained it to me, explained kind of both what they want in the future and also what they're kind of thinking for the now. Um, and I think that's the important thing there, right? Because there is there is the app, like there is, there is Facebook now and there's Facebook when Facebook first started, right? They're com- yeah. two completely separate yeah. things. Um, and in the mind of somebody who's actually got a charge for this as per the time that you've, you know, that you've, you're giving to the, the project, like somebody doesn't want to go and build an entire, like an entire version of Facebook when they've only quoted for the original version of Facebook. If you understand right, what of I course, mean. Yeah, no, right? I completely understand what you mean. So, so what you do is you, and what I'm doing in, in regards to this project, project that I'm going to be working on now is, um, Taking taking everything that they want eventually, and taking that into consideration when I'm building things, yeah, because that's important. Because if it, if if I don't take that into consideration, there is every possibility that I'll build myself into a corner, and then I'll have to, you know, do more work to get myself out of that. Mm. Um, on the other hand, what I'm go- what uh what I'm going to do is I'm not going to I'm only going to quote for a certain amount of the work, and then. That's going to be directly specified that that's what I've what I'm quoting for. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to quote you to build this app, and I'm going to quote you to build with these particular pieces of functionality. Yeah. Um. And then, and that's that's pretty much all it is. And once we've finished this functionality, then we'll review. We'll go over what you think where you think the app is at, like where you think it is at now, and what you want where you want it to go into the future. Because obviously that can change, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And and then we'll and we'll reassess that and we'll go for you know phase two essentially, and so it's kind of a phased approach. Yeah, no, I, I do something similar. I um, firstly, one something that I've had some success with in the past is where projects have the greatest uncertainty to try and encourage clients to opt for a discovery phase, where you say before we even talk about like quoting on the full thing, I'll quote on just doing a discovery phase on its own in and of itself. Say, you know. I'll spend this amount of time um, doing some prototype ideas around what you currently think the product will be. And then at the end of that, we'll all have a better idea of whether those are the features you actually want to implement or or are they something different. And if you do stick with these features or if you choose a subset of them or you know what you end up choosing, um, hopefully we'll be in a better place to be able to estimate more accurately the effort to do the whole heap. Right. And then after the discovery phase, to as you say, I sort of would quote on a break an app down into sort of features and try and estimate my effort to implement each feature and then quote based on those features and then sure. kind of put the ball back on the client's court and say, it's up to you whether you want to go ahead with the whole lot or you want to go ahead with a subset of these. But rather than wait until the project's kind of finished, um, I've also had a couple of times where during development of what we initially agreed as the set of features, um, priorities have changed. And I've just had a really open conversation about that and sort of saying, well, you're coming up with some ideas now which we hadn't originally agreed upon. I could do those, but that would mean that um, I'd have to rush through or cut corners with some of the others or perhaps we just 
leave something else we had planned to do off and right. move that into phase two. But I think that's the important thing, right? Because you've quoted for a certain amount of work and it's unfair like it's unfair to you as as the as the developer and as a as a contractor to put more time in than what you've quoted for. Yeah. I mean certain times that's going to work out it's going to work out fine because so I think and this kind of breaks off into a whole other conversation about like where where you leave like the money side of quotes and whether you go over or under or build intolerances and stuff like that. And we'll get to that in a second. But like but if if you if you've actually done something faster than you've than you've anticipated and you do have time left over, then yeah. See, this is my problem. I know where you're going with this, and it happens all the time, right? Like I've, I quote based on feature, and um, you know, I estimate a particular feature might take me say a week, and I think how much I need to earn to cover that week's worth of time, uh, and then I do it, and it takes a day, and like then the client's got kind of another thing has popped up on the wish list, and I'm like, oh well, you know. The thing that I thought would take a week only took me a day, so I've got time. I'll do that other thing as well, um, which I think is fine. Like, I, right. I, but then the inverse of that, where I've thought that something's going to take me a week mm. and it ends up taking three weeks, like I wear the cost of that extra yes, time. So it's kind of right. like the client's getting all the win, right? Like where I find myself with extra time, I squeeze more in. And when I find myself going overtime, I just squeeze more out of myself. So this is something that I've had to deal with several times, right? Because I do a lot of I do a lot of small jobs, and so I'll sometimes quote, you know, sometimes I'll I'll do. In fact, I do a lot of jobs that are under a grand. Like I don't even quote a grand for them because they're just not that big. And sometimes, sometimes they end up costing less, and sometimes they end up like they end up actually running well and truly over. Um, there was a job that I did recently. And uh, I quoted. I think I originally quoted about seven fifty, but then realized that it was actually going to take longer because I got stuck on some JavaScript type stuff, um, and and so it ended up being about fifteen hundred. And through some talking with the with uh, the client, I ended up end up charging them for the full amount. But as a general rule, I don't do that. Mm. Um, as a general rule, I quote and I stick to it regardless of regardless of what may come. And I think I think that's important, right? Because sometimes I wear the cost, and I have done it. Like yeah. I've worn hundreds of dollars in 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 work, and in fact, just last just the last week, I wore about two weeks worth of work that I'm not going to get paid for at all. But it's funny, isn't it? That that mental, like what happens in your mind where you think a certain task will take an amount of time, and if it takes longer than that, I kind of feel like it's my fault. Like I don't know. Yesterday, I was stuck on some stupid bug for I don't know three three hours or something. I was this is embarrassing. Ben knows what the bug was. <laughs> I can't believe I spent three hours on a freaking oh, it's ridiculous. I, I spent three hours trying to work around a bug that I created for myself in a misguided attempt to work around another bug. Does that make any sense at all? No. Uh, but anyway, that's what happens, right? You hit a you, you're implementing something and it's not working right for some reason, and it takes you ages to figure out. That in fact you've made a stupid mistake, right? Um, and so in my mind, it's like that's my fault. I'm wearing that. Um, but when the flip side happens, and I'm like, I think this will take, you know, two or three days, and it turns out the API, the frameworks make it trivial, so it's like one line of code. I, I'm like, I just can't live with myself. Of like, I'm not going to just profit that. Sorry, pocket that profit and just go woohoo. The client, does. except that I'm kind of slowly realizing, um, for some clients. The amount that they pay you for your work bears no relationship to the effort that it takes you to right. to create it. What they're paying is more closely related to what the product is worth for them. Yes. Like what right. what the value is to them of having that software in the world. Right. And it could be of immense value to a client to have some software in the world that actually didn't take you a great deal of effort to create. Of course. And so the I kind of am coming around to the idea that it, it it could be okay to quote a price for those clients that's that's higher than what I'd previously and not quoted. necessarily based on the amount of time that you put into it. Right, that yeah. it's more based on what's it worth to them. Right, and but I kind of feel a little bit that doesn't sit comfortably with me at the moment. I still feel uh, like I'm, I've I've come to terms with that, right? Because I I've done because I do so many like so many little jobs and I wear costs sometimes. Um. And typically, like a lot of the clients that I do, like they're repeat clients. Like I don't, I don't, you know, have hundreds of clients coming to me and all doing one job and then you know leaving and never coming back. 
typically they return to me because... Hang on. What am I doing wrong? You mean clients can come back and get you to do more work <laughs> well, for them in the future? Well, here's the thing. I do a lot of... I do a, Because I do work a lot with design agency. Like they... Because I, I have a relationship with them, they might have something that they can't do in-house and so they palm it off to me. Um, and so they, and they, you know, they quote me and, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, I've seen how these, these places work. Like these places actually end up charging in in some cases more than twice as much as I'm, I'm charging them to do no, no extra work on top of it. While we're in this theme of justifying charging higher prices to ourselves, I think something that, that also happens is that clients kind of outsource some of the uncertainty or some of the risk around future demands right so like as freelancers we've got to manage our own workload so that we've got enough work to cover our costs of living we've got enough work lined up in the future that we don't have to worry about going hungry but we don't have too much that we can't get through it all sure and our clients kind of don't need to worry so much about that like they don't need to worry about do we have a development resource sitting here not doing anything or do we have all the development resources we're going to need for this sudden demand because they that's kind of part of the deal, right? What they're getting in having you as a freelancer or a contractor or rather than an employee is the ability to just say on a whim, we want a new app. Can you do it? But I mean, this, that's where, that's why you build in diversity and that's kind of, I mean, that's, I think that's kind of a given. Mm. So the, the more clients that you have, uh, especially more repeat, repeat clients, like you, ideally you want clients that will come back to you and get you to do more work in the future. Mm. When you have that, like you have that, I think that provides you with a little bit of, um, a little bit of security in that regards. Because just because one client doesn't have any work for you, somebody else might. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why. And that's and, and if you were in a if you were in a job, sure you'd have like the whole job security thing, and you you know you'd get a regular paycheck every week, regardless of how much work you're actually doing. But at the other at the, on the other hand, you're probably working on maybe one project, right. maybe two projects at the same time. And I kind of and like that's it. Like the, there's no um, diversity to your work. I kind of like the Dan Benjamin definition of job security. I'm looking at you, Ben, because you recently quit, and I think you said you had listened to an episode of the Quit yeah, podcast. Yeah, and I heard his definition, but I forgot what it is So now. I think it's basically, I could be paraphrasing, I hope I'm not getting this too far wrong, is it's basically there's no such thing as job security except for the security you create by having control over your own destiny. So if you're working kind of in a day job for the man, um, the sort of job where you were describing Jelly as potentially right. having security. Yeah. Your security is dependent on, um, you know, I've got a full-time permanent job. Um, it will still be here next week. But it will only still be ne- there next week if that company is still in business or if that government agency is still hiring. And the whether or not that's the case is largely in big organizations out of your control. Like you can't yeah. directly influence whether or not they're successful in their business. You're kind of just reliant on other people making good decisions to make sure the business still continues. Whereas Dan Benjamin's definition, if you quit that sort of job and take control of your own destiny and say, okay, I've got certain skills, I'm taking responsibility of making sure I use those skills to do things, to create a business, to create a product, to find, you know, then that's where real job security is because it kind of means no matter what the circumstances change around you, if you've got skills and if you've got your own you know, creating opportunities for yourself, then you'll still be able to create opportunities for yourself. Yep. Can't fire yourself. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think I think I kind of subscribe. I've tried. <laughs> I've I've tried many times. <laughs> Under underproduced. Tried to fire myself. Didn't work. Oh, just, well. Somehow I just keep turning up to work. <laughs> <laughs> but so Ben, what are you doing in terms of uh quoting and what Yeah, so I'm a complete amateur at it. Um originally I would sort of sit there and try and like break it down and go this will take three days this will take and that worked i guess um another one i did recently i just pretty much found out what the budget was and thought yeah, and can i do it budget? for that much yeah probably and just quoted that number yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of yeah that thinking about can i do it for that much what are you factoring into that not much to be honest <laughs> <laughs> so i guess for me with that thought process in towers um it's basically oh, all it is is that'll probably take five weeks and most of my time, and yeah, that'll be enough money to live for those five weeks. Right, exactly. So that's what it comes down to. It's right. Like yeah. The what my costs are personally, like how much money do I need coming in to cover my, my costs, my mortgage, food, electricity, that sort of stuff, and then when I'm estimating on work, 
is I try and find a price that'll mean that I get enough for doing the work to cover my expenses and then hopefully a little bit more maybe. Yeah. But um, usually, whereas it's kind of interesting that I've encountered another approach to quoting that other, you know, I've seen others do and I'm not, where it's more about what price would the customer be willing to pay? What What is this, the output of this job worth to the yeah, customer? That's right. In, entirely independent of the, and I, I suppose um, those two come come closer and closer together in industries where there's more and more competition, where if there's lots and lots of people potentially quoting, then the price is going to come down so it's close to the actual, you know, mm-hmm. raw cost of, of doing it. But whereas if you're in a sort of a little bit more of a niche and there are fewer people able to deliver on something that is of valued by a customer, then they're probably willing to pay more for it because, uh, you know, where else are they going to get it from? Mm. But um, and I think I think it's also fair to say that uh, when you when you're quoting, you don't just have to take into account like how much uh, how much you're going to be putting into it or how much you've got to live during the time that it's you know that it's happening but you, you you have to you have to take into consideration the motivation to do to do that particular job right um because there are I'll, I'll be honest there are going to be some jobs that are going to be amazing to work on and you just can't wait to work on them and you just so like they they occupy your your your, your thought processes and you just and it makes you happy to work on them and you feel so good about working on them all the jobs are like that no <laughs> Because there are some jobs that completely suck, <laughs> and like, and all you can do is you can like you you'll sit there and you'll look at it and you and the entire time that you're working you're just going I don't want to be doing this right now I don't want to be doing this right now I don't want to be doing this right now. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm not saying at all that money is going to make up for that, but it certainly helps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're right. It's not all about money. There are certain jobs you just want to be part of because it's so interesting. And, right. And you try and find a price that the client can cope with so that you get to be part of it. Right. Um, but you're, uh, the other place I found some variability on my quoting is um, in terms of the amount of work I've got lined up. Like if I've got enough, more than enough work lined up for the foreseeable future and I don't know whether I can really handle any more or not and someone comes in and asks me to quote, then I'm probably more likely to quote ridiculously high because, yeah. you know, like if I don't end up getting it, that's a bit of a relief because I've probably got enough on my plate as it is. And if I do end up getting it, well, I'll probably find a way of making it work because it'll be worthwhile. Yeah. 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 What about um, se- separate but somewhat related to quoting? What do you guys do in terms of finding work? So I guess it's, there's two parts to this. One is um, figuring out how long it's going to take you to do something and how much you should charge for it. But the other is like finding potential clients or jobs or... I'll be honest, like a lo- quite a fair bit of my work because <laughs> quite a fair bit of when my work comes to me. Um, my f- main focus isn't on client work because that's not where I want to be. Um, my main focus is on doing some of my other projects, of yep. which there are many and various, um, hundreds and hundreds, and always, always adding new ones, and never like they they get added to the list and never looked at again, probably. Uh, so I don't do a lot of searching for 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 work, um, or at least not at this point in time. Every now and then I'll go through like what I went through a few months back and I'll be like, Oh my god, I've got no I've got no money, I've got no work, I'm so poor, I need something and and I'll go desperately scrambling for something. Um but uh, the other the, on the other hand, I've like I also have because of my relationships with design agencies, uh, quite a bit of my work is just it's small jobs that come in every week or two and I mean so that's a good tip though, if there are other people that are looking to get into freelancing or have just gotten into freelancing establishing relationships with design agencies where they've yeah they they're doing the landing jobs from clients right they do all that needing help in delivering part of it because they might just have the design expertise and because typically because typically these these design houses right uh design agencies they have like they have staff that are specifically like tasked at doing that they go out they find work that's their entire job i think it's good business development yeah something like business development Mm -hmm. manager Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, they have people that go out and find jobs, and because and and in a lot of cases, they're large enough that people actually bring jobs to them as well, and they yeah. have exist their own existing relationships. Yeah. If you can find a way to have that, like to establish a relationship with one of these places, there's there's a few of them in Canberra that do yeah. do work, and yeah. 
Um, uh, and, and wherever our listeners yeah, are, I'm sure, I'm there, sure there are. Other are I'm sure that there are there are short. There's, there's, there's there everywhere. More almost anywhere else than Canberra. Canberra's well, Canberra's got a few of them. Canberra's got a lot of them, considering its size. Is yeah, considering city. its size, yeah. like you, like there are there are maybe two or three main ones, and yeah. then there's like several kind of B-list agencies, I guess. Yeah. And then there's probably like there's like heaps of other little ones that just do mm. like really boutique stuff. And like they do various different, you know, they they serve different purposes. So it's okay to be, you know, a boutique agency, and yeah. as opposed to a, as to, as opposed to a full service, you know, we've got thirty people working for us kind of agency. Hmm. What about you, Ben? What do you do to find new work? What are you doing at the moment? Having a lot of coffee. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Go ahead, no, I'm finding that a lot of it comes down to meeting the right people rather than it's yeah, it's it's definitely all about who you know, not what you know. Yeah. So yeah, I've just been trying to get out there and meet people and be friendly, and it seems to be working. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not without work. Yeah. That's what people are thinking. It sounds like. No, no, I wasn't <laughs> trying to suggest that either. <laughs> just that you're, you know, recently made the move from employee to freelancer. That, that yeah, you so might be. yeah, I just go out and meet people. Basically, yeah. go to Coco Heads or yeah. whatever else is related to whatever you do. I went to Canberra JS the other night. That was pretty cool. It was actually I was quite impressive. I There's definitely more JavaScript developers around than there are Cocoa developers. Or just See, I don't necessarily think that's true, are better right? at organizing. I, I think that there's a lot of Cocoa developers that don't yeah. turn up to Cocoa Heads in Canberra. Just have to out myself here. I organize Canberra Cocoa Heads very poorly. In fact, usually I don't organize it and everyone else just says, Jake, is anything happening this month? And organize it without me doing anything. Anyway. I'll, I'll lift my game. I've maybe. organized two because I want to try and get a place at the Cocoa Heads organizers breakfast. They have it at WDC. And, you know, like, I feel like I can go now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. You've organized two. Yeah. They count. It's more than one. Yeah. Exactly. You, you, yeah. <laughs> one is like a once off. So, something I've done in terms of finding work is, um, I, I agree. Sometimes, like, work finds you. People hear about you. I'm not suggesting you should, you should rely on that. Like, no, well, I mean, if you can't, like, I don't know. I mean, I st- if, you can, if you can rely on that, <laughs> go <great>. for it. <laughs> I still struggle a little bit with that. Um, when I've got plenty of work on, I'm not actively hunting it down right. because I've got plenty on and I don't really want the headache of having to figure out how to juggle lots. Um, and then as you start to get towards the end of a period yeah. of work, you start thinking ahead, okay, when this finishes, what am I going to move on to next? And then I start to get a little bit, I better make sure there's something and start having more conversations with people and being more receptive when people like, you know, uh, are inquiring, and in those circumstances, I've I've kind of got this um, list. Sometimes it is actually a physical list. I make notes on my, or physical as in notes in my iPad of app ideas. So whenever I get an idea of something that I think would make a good app, um, most of the time, uh, maybe it's because I'm not very uh, creative, but most of the time, my ideas for uh, for apps are ideas that kind of involve someone else's stuff, right? Like. Mm-hmm. You know, um, an, an example of one recently was um, Canberra has a flower show once a year. For people that don't know, there are lots of tulips. It's called, called Floriade. Yeah. I went this year. It's pretty awesome. There are tulips everywhere. Lots once. and lots of tulips. Anyway, I reckon there should be an app. There because, was an app. Oh, there was fantastic. There wasn't last year, and so it went on my list. But I think, I think, I think have a better example is the is the app that you did for the National Library. Right. Well, that's that's one as well. Yeah, I did a music an app to explore their collection of sheet music. Yeah. Um, and iView I was a little bit like that. I, I thought that it would be cool if there was. I heard that the ABC were um, interested in iPads. Some Their head of uh, innovation had gone to the States to line up to get them. And um, so I contacted her via email and said, that's really interesting. I've just ordered mine as well. What are you guys doing with your iPads? Um, and we just started talking about it and um, ended up having a meeting. And prior to that meeting, I just started messing around with ideas like how to look at the um, use Charles debugging proxy to see how the Flash iView app was talking back to the server to get the lists of shows and stuff, and just right. started prototyping something on an iPad. Um, showed it to her, and you know, discussions went from there. And so it's kind of like, yeah. And other clients I've worked with, um, I've worked with a a client who um has done a bunch of production of screen content, like TV and film and things like that. Okay, and I think that world is one in which um. If you want to get a get a project to happen, you have to take more initiative in bringing together all the pieces that are needed to realize. Like you yeah, sure. find mm-hmm. a scriptwriter, you find a production house, you find a financing company, and you, and you as the kind of um, initiator of a project sort of go and say, where can I get funding from? 
where can I find an audience for this content? Where can I get people to help create the content? And I think that same model works well for apps. That if you're as a developer or have some ideas of technology and how you could use technology to do cool stuff, you don't necessarily need to have all the other bits. You could go to an organization like the National Library that has an interesting collection that you could do something with, or you could go to an organization like the ABC that has some TV content, or you could go to gallery or a museum. It's essentially or a, pitching an idea to to a to an existing company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Rather than waiting for them to say, we think we need an app to do something, you can go to them and say, have you ever thought about using mobile technology to do interesting stuff with your things? And here's um, an example. And here's an example. And yeah. I kind of feel like that I've got enough like of these sorts of ideas of um, content or organizations or things I've encountered where I think it would be really interesting to see it used in that way or to use it in this way. And enough like ideas in the back of my head of kind of APIs I want to try out. So like right. if I run out of client work, I'd probably just pick one of those ideas, pick an API I'm interested in exploring, mess around with a couple of for a few days to try and create something and then maybe start a conversation from there. Hmm. Sure. Speaking of which, have we got time to talk about some new APIs? We've got maybe five minutes. AF Networking 2.0 is cool. Oh, I want to hear about it. What's changed? So I've only played with it Probably exactly in the scenario I was just describing. Uh, I've got an idea for an app for a potential client that I think should exist. And so I spent half a day just messing with some stuff to try and build a little bit of a prototype to see, to investigate how much work would be involved to actually do it for real. So when I do have a conversation with them, I'm informed. And also to try and have something to show and say, you know, this thing could exist. Let's talk about how to make it happen. Anyway, um, also, I wanted an excuse to play with new stuff, and so I did those two together, and I had a look at um, this app idea. Involves talking to a network service that returns, in this case, some XML, unfortunately. I hate parsing XML, but anyway. <laughs> um, and so I thought I'd try out AF Networking 2.0. Um, so having only spent a few hours messing with it, I, I can't give you a conclusive, like exhaustive list of everything that's different. I think the NS Hipster article about it is... Probably a good starting point for that because well, it's by the, by the, same, by the guy. Um, but one of the things I found was, uh, one, it picks up, it supports some new features in iOS 7. So one of which is uh, NS URL Session Manager. Let's just say URL Sessions as the generic name as opposed to URL Connections. Um, okay. So I didn't haven't seen the WWDC Sessions yet and I've only looked at it through the lens of AF Networking. But my understanding is what URL sessions are um, is a way of doing uh, downloading stuff from the net, um, but in the complete background. So not necessarily just doing it within your app in a background thread or block or whatever, but asking the operating system to do it on behalf of your app. So your app is not actually doing the downloading. It's the resources itself, the OS is. And your app is just getting callbacks during the process to find out how it's going and when it's finished so much so that i believe your app can actually be completely terminated and the set the download will continue Hmm. the operating system will continue doing it for you and when it finishes it'll relaunch your app into the background and then call your url session delegate method to tell you that your download's finished so it allows you to potentially trigger a download when the user's interacting with your app and even if they switched out of your app to go and look at something else um you download can continue to re- on, run beyond the whatever it was 10 seconds or right, so 10, yeah, yeah. 10 minutes or so that it used to be able to 10 minutes 10 seconds that's a big difference it was 10, minute, 10 minutes the original back backgrounding stuff with uh downloading downloading content was 10, 10 minutes. minutes yeah but i've I've noticed this as a user of podcast apps that sometimes 10 minutes isn't enough for yeah. the episodes to download well and sometimes yeah so af networking wraps that abstracts it a bit for you so it uses the underlying ios 7 stuff but adds some niceties to it and one of the niceties is it allows you to register um a serializer that should be re- used to serialize or deserialize i guess the response that comes back from the url session manager um so you can basically say os go off and download this file when you're finished come back even if it's you know by relaunching me and um and then I want the response to be processed by this other class. Um, oh, cool. And so the kind of having, it's got a cleaner separation of the code that parses the response and pulls it apart into the, whatever objects you want and the actual um, URL connection managing code. Um, and so it made it really easy to sort of basically, ha- I think I had about 10 lines of AF networking code 
to talk to these three different endpoints and then one small class for each of them to parse the response because they were each slightly different. Could probably have reused, had a little bit more reuse there because they were only subtly different. But yeah, because hmm. I was just knocking up the prototype, I just had three different sort of response handling classes to parse the specific responses and pull out the bits that I wanted. Um, yeah, it was cool. I'm looking forward to, look, to doing some new iOS 7 stuff as well. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. But yeah, I'd recommend looking at those session um, URL session manager and AF networking 2.0. Sweet. That's it. That's all I got for now. Yeah. I mean, we could probably talk about, I mean, we could talk about quoting all day, but I mean, there's plenty of stuff that we didn't really cover off. But I'd, I'd love to hear from listeners as well. Um, yeah. Like, if, just if, because... Particularly if people have been in this game longer than us and have got, have learnt, what are the main lessons you've learnt in quoting for clients? You know, if you could pass on one tip to someone starting out today, what would it be? Pass it on to Ben. ben pass it on ben, to me too. I still feel like Ben I'm, could use it. I want all the tips I can get. You're doing fine. What are you talking about? <laughs> ben, Ben needs it. He's, he's new to this game. Yeah. He's, he's fresh out of the, uh, fresh out of the oven. I am. <laughs> But yeah, that's all we've got time for today. And is this our final episode for this the is, year? This is the pen- penultimate episode. All oh, right, there's another. Uh, so this is the last studio episode. Oh, so it, if you can call this a studio, okay, my last episode. This for is the your year. last episode for the year. Yeah. So happy holidays, everyone. From uh, me. We will be back in two weeks' time for the for the mobile couch live from NS Camp episode. Which is pretty exciting. That that's the episode in which you replace me with a, a cast of thousands who are much more interesting than me. Possibly, yes. Fantastic. I can't, possibly I can't even, wait to listen. Possibly even better looking than you, Jake. <laughs> I'm sure they will be. <laughs> Not possible. So, uh, so look, guys, uh, you you should you know tune in next time for that because uh, that's going to be that's going to be good. Hopefully, I'm, I'm st- we're still putting stuff together for that. But uh, if you're going to be at NS Camp, you should also come along and sit in the audience and, and join us because, you know, why not? What else are you going to do with your time? Other things, I suppose. There's plenty to do out there, but I'm, I'm sure you can probably use use an hour break to come and listen to us make fools of ourselves and me forget words for like five minutes at a time. It's going it to be amazing. so much fun. I, I can't believe <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be there. I'm really selling it, aren't I? Yeah, you are. Uh, but that's it for this penultimate episode of uh, for the year. We will be uh, We will be back. Jake will be back. In the Avengers. Wait, no. Jake will be back next year. In the new year. In the new year. Speaking in 2014. Of which, I am currently starting to think about projects I might take on in the new year. So, you know. Is an advertisement for you? Suggestion people should call you. <laughs> if you've got an interesting project you want someone to quote on for the new year. Indeed. Uh, Hang on. Do I have to pay for that sponsorship spot now? Yes. Yeah, yes. Damn it. Hang on. What have I got? But you will get a 33% refund. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, if you guys want to uh, read about any of the things that we talked about today, I don't think there's very much. Um, they, we might include a link to like AF networking, networking and stuff like that. You can't go to our website anyway, regardless of whether there's going to be show notes or not. If there is, we'll figure it out later and they'll be up on the website. Uh, the website that you should go to for that is uh, mobilecouch.co forward slash 21. Happy 21st. I know, right? <laughs> if we if Mobile Couch was in America at the moment, they, it'd be up to drink. Yeah. Whereas but given that it's in Australia, we've been able Australia's to drink been, like... it's drinking, it's been, it's been drinking for several episodes yeah. now. <laughs> uh, that explains so much. Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> Anyway, if you would like to get in contact with us, and I, I suggest that you do, because I'm, I'm interested in, uh, in what people, other people are doing with, with quoting, because I don't think I'm doing it right. Yeah, and we I, do. I still have moments where I quote a job, and I'm like, oh, did I do that right? Am I going to, you know, I, I struggle with it. Um, and I think the only, the, the only way that, we're gonna, that anybody's ever going to get better at this is by talking about it. So here's your opportunity to, uh, to share your knowledge with other people, and that's by getting in touch with us. And then we'll you know, pass it on, I guess. And we do love us our FB. We do love some FB. <laughs> it's 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 like a knockoff of of FU. <laughs> Cheap and nasty. It's like version. it's like the Chinese knockoff, uh, or in this case, the Australian knockoff, I guess. Uh, so you can you can get in touch with us by going to our website mobilecouch.co forward slash contact, and there's a web form that you just fill out, and it sends an email to all three of us, and we dance. 
dance the night away when we get an email. Which is all the time. Like, we never stop dancing. Well, because we're always getting emails. Yeah. You can also t- get in t- touch with us individually. Ben is on Twitter and app.net as Ben Trengrove, B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E. And Jake is on app.net and Twitter, in reverse order, I guess, as J McMullen, J-M-A-C-M-U-L-L-I-N. And I am on Twitter as JellyBeanSoup and app.net as Jelly. That's it. Thanks, guys, for listening. We look forward to uh, seeing you. In person, hopefully, for the NS Camp episode uh, in two weeks' time. Except ev- for him. Everyone except for me, right? Including all of you who are listening from Canada. Canada. North America. <laughs> North America. Yeah, please fly yeah. over. Germany. Austria. I love seeing the places people are listening. You all got to come to Australia for NS Camp. And if you don't come to, to, come to Australia for NS Camp, which I guess is somewhat acceptable, then you can uh, you can tune in and uh, that episode will be, the details for that episode will be live on the website as well. Thank you for listening. Again, we will see you there or possibly in the new year, whichever comes first. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.